0: The FDF podcast is sponsored by Clark Energy, sustainably powering the food and drink sectors. FDF podcast, passionate about food and drink. Thank you for joining us this afternoon for our webinar on food waste in a post-pandemic society. We are going to be discussing today how the pandemic affected the redistribution of surplus food and what lessons we can learn from it so i'm going to go in an alphabetical order here with my panelists so that means andy is up first please
1: thanks guys it's a real pleasure to be here so yeah from our perspective clearly as a business operating across the food system uh, we're operating in uncharted territory <laughs> as we stand having uh, come through the first stages of, uh, of the pandemic. I'm not quite sure whether we're in post-pandemic status yet or not, but we're clearly facing into uh, a range of challenges within uh, within the food system. Clearly for, for many of us, uh, we're, we're critically dependent on the food system and its effective operation. Many individuals who unfortunately have been struggling uh, through the pandemic and, and facing into real personal challenges, and there's a real opportunity here for businesses to really look at how they can support uh, action around food loss, food loss and waste. So in the first instance, reducing food waste, uh, obviously in terms of its environmental impact, but then looking at where we do have surplus products, how we best manage that to ensure that it uh, results in being uh, consumed by those who, who really need it. So as businesses, we've got a crucial role to play. Um, We've seen over uh, the last year a range of businesses leveraging donations and in parallel with that leveraging surplus, what we need to ensure is that as we go forwards, we don't take our eye off the ball and we continue to focus on how we can leverage uh, surplus within this system to help support and address those in need. uh, And as I said, to help uh, manage some of the environmental issues associated with the creation of, of food waste from our perspective we're really pleased to say that working with a a range of partners including those on the call so wrap company shop and fair share we've been able to to make some significant differences with our own business so since 2016 which is our baseline year we've been able to reduce our own operational food waste by over 41 percent uh and last year uh excluding donations, just in terms of surplus redistribution, uh, we're able to, to redistribute over 2 million uh, meal equivalents through working with partners such as those on the call and, and Food Cloud as well. It's really important from, from our perspective that we take collaborative action. Uh, there are a range of challenges and, and kind of bumps in the road that can uh, inhibit us and, and really the best way through that is looking at how we can pull together both as businesses, but also uh, across the uh, the broader redistribution sector to really look at how we understand uh, and address those roadblocks and, and make sure that collectively uh, we can get the, the food, our surplus food, to, to the right place at the right time.
0: Great. Thank you, Andy. Um, David, would you like to make a few comments? Yeah,
1: of course. Thanks, Guy. Yeah, really
2: happy to be here today. So uh, thank you for the opportunity to to speak with you all. Uh company shop group is, is sort of uniquely positioned, I suppose, in the fact that it's a business that has both commercial redistribution uh, under the company shop brand, and it also has social redistribution under the, the community shop brand. So a business that's obviously been at the forefront of quite a lot of the changes in the pandemic uh, for the last 18 or so months. And as we move into a, a post-pandemic world, I suppose we're we're looking at, at, at three different sectors to to try and find where the equilibrium is now, really, with, uh, I suppose, the biggest part for us being members uh, and the people that come and shop in our stores, whether that's community shop or, or company shop. Consumer behaviour has changed through this pandemic, whether that's the amount of time people are prepared to travel to a store, whether that's the number of brand fascias that they visit during the week or you know simply the, the scale of growth of, of online uh, grocery shopping. So, you know, that, that whole member sector has really changed significantly in, in the way that members behave. And also those communities that are at the lowest end of the demographics, you know, unfortunately are growing and those communities are, are continuing to be, to be left further behind. And therefore so much more work is, is needed to help those, uh, hopefully using the power of surplus. As an industry, uh, we can work out the, the right ways to, to provide the help where it's needed the most. I think the, the second sector that we're looking at is, is the retailers and how their behaviours have changed through uh, through the pandemic. Most retailers have really stepped up in certain instances to really help provide food to the most needy, to really drive the redistribution agenda, uh, but clearly that's, that's come at cost to them, so their behaviour post-pandemic uh, is really important to ensure that we continue to to grow the amount of surplus that's that's redistributed and, and we allow more people access to more food to QBOT. And then I think, you know, the, the last sector really for us in the position that we sit in is the manufacturing base and so many of the behaviours in the manufacturing base have changed uh, as retailers have shortened their ranges as uh, you know, other criteria have changed for delivery into retailers. Uh, the ability to redistribute own branded food with permission of the retailers. You know, all of those things become really important to to changing behaviours in the manufacturing base that that allow more and more food to be redistributed. So, in a post pandemic world, I suppose those those three sectors become really important for us in the Company Shop Group to find to find what equilibrium looks like and to find what the market looks like post pandemic and ensure that we all drive the right behaviours
3: to continue to grow food redistribution.
0: Thanks very much, David. Um, Ian. Would
3: you like to say something? Yeah. Hi. Good afternoon, everybody. Uh, My name's Ian Ian Bowles. I work for the uh, Waste and Resources Action Programme in the Business Engagement Team. Um, I lead on um, whole chain food waste reduction plan projects and also on um, surplus food redistribution. Um, I think the COVID-19 pandemic outbreak and the various lockdowns we've all had to suffer um, certainly had a, a, a devastating effect on the UK hospitality and, and food service sectors. Um, the UK travel and leisure sectors also have taken a huge hit and can continue um, to. Uh, the long term economic impacts of the COVID outbreak um, aren't, aren't yet known, but what is definitely certain is that some smaller wholesale and some larger wholesale businesses and half businesses will definitely not survive. Um, We've also seen many people working in the UK food sector were placed in furlough. And as restrictions um, are now being eased, we're seeing businesses looking to restructure as they struggle to address the, the new normal way of working, um, which is leading in some instances to review of headcount and ultimately redundancies and therefore an increased need for food surplus to be captured and re- distributed. And I'm really looking forward to this interactive, hopefully session this afternoon, when we can discuss how that might be achieved.
0: Thank you, Ian. And
4: Joanna, not last but not least. Thank you, Sky. Good afternoon, everybody. I'm Joe Dyson and I work for Fair Share. We are the UK's um, largest food waste redistribution charity. Um, take the environmental problem of food waste and put it to social good, Uh, to support those in need and vulnerable communities. Um, We operate through a network of charity partners who run our warehouse network right across the four nations. Um, And we also connect stores, uh, retailer outlets and uh, food service directly to charities for end of day waste. And during the pandemic, we saw a significant increase in demand for our services. Uh, more than doubled the amount of food that we redistributed. And uh, we were you know, delighted to see all the fantastic partnership working that went on across industry, you know, both the retail sector, the manufacturing sector to support us um, as well as government uh, supported us. As I think the challenge for us now um, is that the demand and the need post-pandemic is as high And may become even higher than it was during the pandemic because we've still got a lot of people benefiting from furlough. And as Ian just alluded to, we know companies are looking to recover some of the costs they've incurred. I think it's a really challenging time for the food industry with all the, you know, on every front, you've got challenges with with labor, inflation, as well as everything else. So I think that um, unlocking surplus economically and continuing to make food waste reduction a priority for organisations when your first priority is just surviving and meeting your customers and and, and shareholder expectations, it is a challenge. And I think that cooperation across the industry and the sector and, you know, support from government, there's a lot of subsidies that go into aerobic digestion um, when in fact that food could be redistributed. So I think uh, cooperation um, is probably one of the most important, as well as technical innovation, What one of the important things we have to consider as we move forward.
0: Thanks very much, Jo. Um, what an interesting introduction. I'm hearing a lot about the need to balance um, and different aspects. So we've heard about focusing on, you know, helping social needs as well as environmental need, balancing between people who... Um, members, shoppers, retailers, manufacturing base, and then how to balance kind of economic priorities as businesses um, move into what is hopefully a post-pandemic period, for want of a better word. So how we balance these different priorities and collaborate through them is going to be a really interesting exercise. Um, I think I want to start off with uh, uh, a quick question on what would you say is the top Kind of lesson or lessons that you have learned from the pandemic or kind of issues that the pandemic has really drawn to your attention. So I'm going to start again with Andy if I could.
1: Yeah I guess uh, a couple of things really the, the first one is when it, it comes to surplus you can do a lot of work putting the appropriate systems in place um, but ultimately it's the guys at the back door who decide where the product goes. So it's it's really crucial that we drive effective engagement of our staff in in this journey and understand the importance of, of the journey. And it's been really interesting for us. We, we've been working on this for, for many years, looking at how we can engage our, our employees. And we, we've had some success, probably not as much success as we would have liked. Well, one of the things that became really evident during the pandemic is when you look at the number of people who've been affected who are literally struggling to put food on the table, it means that actually many of our employees will have friends, family members, neighbours who are in that exact position. So the opportunity to use that to help our employees understand the challenge and the scale of impact that they can have by helping us to manage these opportunities has really been a step change for us. It's really driven a different perspective within the business. So it means that we have commitment and understanding throughout the business now in terms of the the importance of uh, surplus redistribution. So that's probably been one of the really key things that's, that's shone through.
0: That's a really interesting point. And I think we can refer to your guy at the back door. I think that's a really useful um, kind of character to keep in mind as we think of the the value chain for this surplus food um david same question for you
2: a couple of things that that we've certainly learned as we've gone through this process that we'll need to continue with going forward i think is that what we've uh, what i suppose we've seen is that really fast is better than perfect Mm -hmm. you know we've we've all had plans for a very long time about what we should be doing and how we should be doing these things and and these problems have been existing for a long time. And actually, what we have seen is, is speed of change, uh, the level of dynamism that's needed to keep up with all of these changes and to keep moving forward means that really we have to, we have to hold on to that ability to, to move quickly and to not be worried about making sure everything's perfect, but just keep moving forward. So that's definitely something that, that you know, needs to stay in the industry and certainly stay in organisations going forward. The Second thing I think uh, that Joe mentioned, which I will just sort of let echo really, is is that the answer is in the collective, not in the individual. Probably, you know, we can't we can't all solve this individually. This has to be the power of the industry coming together, in however you sort of frame the industry, but the answer that if we've all got the answers, we've just got to find a way to come together collectively to to help solve those things. And I think we've made some great strides on that uh, as we've gone through the last eighteen months, but. As we all know, on this call, there is still so much more work to do, um, and, and we know the answers are there. And collectively, we probably have them. All we just got to get uh, get them out, get them around the table, and, and move quickly through them to to, to keep the momentum building. Those been Thanks, my two David. key points. For me.
0: Yeah, I think the the pandemic really has uh, focused minds on this issue, and like you said, really made that speed a uh, top priority. I appreciate you bringing that up. Um,
3: Ian. Uh, no, I'd echo what David just said, there's more we can do and there is a need certainly within um, micro to small size not-for-profit redistribution organisations for more guidance and smoke support and, and to meet these needs and in collaboration with our surplus food redistribution working group which we established back in 2016. I think Andy, you co chaired that alongside Tesco that's right Some some time ago so we started <laughs> a long way back we've, we've made strides Um wrap have developed a number of kind of online tools guidance and other resources for example um, we established the the uk um, food and drink surplus food network some years ago um, we've made available online surplus food redistribution hub um, which provides all the information organisations need to help to increase the the capture and redistribution of surplus food. It's all in one place in a um, You know, we've developed lots of guidance. Um, the last actually in June this year, after working with all the major retailers, RAP published um, a best practice guidance document on redistributing on label retailer products um, within the supply chain. Um, which is currently being implemented by UK retailers. So making more private label products available for redistribution, that's important. There are lots more opportunities within food manufacturing. We we estimate this potentially 190,000 tonnes of food could potentially be captured and redistributed, and and that's the challenge, I think, for that collaboration that we've all talked about, that what RAP does well, brings businesses and organisations together, convenes, comes together um, um, to look at solutions to um, common problems. And I think that's the the learning that we've taken from that over the last 14 months.
0: Yeah, that convening power and the power of sharing the relevant information so that people know what they can do and how they can do it, that's helpful. Um,
4: Joe, over to you. Thank you. So I think for, that, for me and for Fesha, the learnings of the last um, 18 months or so are, as Andy said, you know, no matter how good your risk register and your contingency plans, they're never going to quite cover all eventualities, but we will be surprised at how a group of people working with a common purpose and a single focus can actually implement things at far greater speed than they would have expected, to To David's point. You know, we've all, I'm sure, all of our organisations turned things around overnight, changed all sorts of things, that outside of a pandemic, we would have expected to take a lot longer. So where there's a will, there's a way, and, and a lot can be achieved. Um, but I think it also, if I think about the social aspects of what we do at Fair Share, it emphasises the precariousness really, of life for many people in our current systems. Uh, you know, whether that's actually, yeah, it's broader than just the social side, you know, whether it's a blockage in the Swiss Canal that suddenly causes problems because one person turned the boat in the wrong direction. But, um, you know, a pandemic, so people are suddenly without an income um, that we've suddenly, the ripple effects of that are significant. So we've got to work longer term, I think, to get more resilient systems in place and get, get the right measures in so that hopefully we'll be able to cope with something like this. To finish to happen again, um, we'd be better equipped to cope with it. Because it's been a very challenging, very, very challenging year, I think, for everybody. So, getting a lot of
0: talk about collaboration. One uh, stakeholder we don't have around the table today is government. Um, Do you think there is a role for government, or is legislation um, an important way to kind of drive this collaboration? I'll, I'll open it to the floor at this point. And
4: there's lots of a good examples. So we talked earlier about how many we were chatting before the session started. About the number of companies that have signed up to the Wrap Food Waste Reduction Roadmap, um, and there's an awful lot of companies doing the right thing. And commercial organisations will inevitably always work faster than government. Um, I would rather see government encouraging, um, supporting, eating a carrot and helping to overcome some of the barriers than using a stick to sort of beat people with if they haven't filled out, you know, some administrative returns and things. Um, I think there is a role that government the barriers to, as I mentioned before, there's a lot of money, 600 million, I believe it is, goes in annual subsidies to send food to aerobic digestion or, or part, partly it's food that goes to AD. And I think they wrap um, and DEFRA worked together uh, last year over some funds that were made available to help overcome the barriers to redistribution and they were very effective and we would say that's where I'd rather see government's efforts eventually perhaps once organisations have moved further down the line then there is a role perhaps for legislation but I would see it absolutely as a last resort and only when the lessons the international lessons are learned so even in countries like France where there is legislation it's I think it's pretty well known wants to find a loophole or or tick a box without really wanting to do it they they will do um, and so what you've got to do is create a climate in which it's the right thing to do raising consumer awareness of um the impact of the contribution of food waste to climate change will probably put more pressure on organizations than government legislation in in my opinion so Great, thank you. Consultations going on, but I think I but I think the industry will move faster than that.
0: Yes, um, and I know we're expecting a consultation on food waste reporting. Um, I wonder if anyone has thoughts on how that might affect this whole conversation.
3: I'm, I'm not sure whether the reporting of um, food surplus um, redistribution will be a requirement of mandatory reporting that may be just on food waste, but just to build on, on Joe's um, insightful thoughts um, as regards uh, government interventions and funding support. So in April last year, through the um, DEFRA Resource Action Fund, RAP launched um, a 3.25 million COVID-19 emergency surplus food grant scheme. Uh, the, the aim of, of those grants was to provide, at the time, vital financial support and to not-for-profit organizations to help them to capture and redistribute surplus food from retailers, wholesalers, food manufacturers, um, to feed people in need. or um, those considered um, vulnerable? For example, elderly people who were encouraged to self-isolate at the time and people with pre-existing medical conditions, for example, who, who, who were potentially at risk. Um, the grant scheme had two strands um, so gr- grants of between um, five to ten thousand pounds were made available to to small-sized not-for-profit organizations and grants of up to fifty thousand pounds for um, medium um, to large not-for-profit organizations um, the grants were awarded through this step funding um it, it provided urgently needed financial support to help deal with the significantly increased demand um, and capacity issues and the additional resources people um self-isolated people like volunteers for example that might be of a certain age that were no longer available um, and also the cost of um, transporting the surplus food from um, businesses to charities and indeed from charities to end beneficiaries and so that was, as Joe suggested, we think very successful in providing that support at a time when it was mo- most definitely needed.
0: That's really helpful context. I um, to be able to really recognise the beneficial impact that positive support was able to have on redistribution as well, um, and kind of on the different areas. So I think you mentioned volume, need, as well as cost to redistribution. Um, because there are different aspects that need to be uh, supported. It's not just kind of any one topic. Um, Andy, you wanted to say something.
1: Yeah, just just a couple of quick builds really on both Jo and uh, Ian's points. I think uh, similarly, I'm not sure how much of an effect uh, mandatory reporting will have on uh, surplus. It will definitely have an impact on, on food waste reduction, in my opinion. But I think that the key is that how we enable uh, that that transition to accelerate on surplus partially through making things easier for business to manage it through surplus rather than other routes but then also reconsidering some of the existing alternatives to, to surplus redistribution so i think on the former the the kind of funds from from DEFRA and government were, were very welcome and have helped enable some of the changes. We're still seeing a number of roadblocks in terms of, or at least pumps in the road, uh, in terms of, of enabling that change, particularly in terms of infrastructure. Um, some of it is with regard you know, to further extending, further extending the, the cool chain. Um, but also looking at how we enable the capture of products which typically isn't fit for surplus redistribution ready and making it redistribution ready. So we've got part packaged stock, how do we capture that and repackage it more effectively? And also particularly in terms of bulk product, you know, where a number of manufacturers, retailers may have you know silos with uh you know bulk uh flowers and uh fats. So you know other ways of, of taking some of those surplus reportioning it. And, and getting it maybe, for example, to, to surplus uh, not surplus, but social kitchens, for, for example. So some real opportunities there. The other cool one, going back to anaerobic digestion, is really looking at how we could take a more integrated approach to, to anaerobic digestion and rethinking alternative feedstocks. So rather than where anaerobic digestion has largely come from, which is focused on kind of prime food uh, food products, which is uh, on the verge of going to waste you know, looking at how we can take other products uh you know byproducts landscape waste streams for example uh, to support those uh, and then looking at trying to retain the the higher value and i'm talking about higher value not economic value but the uh, the higher social value uh, products and and keeping that within the the human cycle
0: that's interesting. Um, and I, I've seen some questions coming through in the chat. So I'm just going to ask one more of my own and then I will get to some of those. I think this is an interesting moment to bring in David um, to talk to us a little bit about uh, company shops relationship with BIFA. And some of what Andy has just been mentioning about um, capturing different streams um, and moving Possible food waste up the food waste hierarchy?
2: Um, so, for those of you on the call that, that don't know, the, the Company Shop Group has, has got 50 years of history. Uh, and in February this year, uh, the, the family shareholder stepped away from the business and the business was was bought in its entirety uh, by Biffa Waste Management Services. Um, so, uh, Company Shop is now a, a wholly owned subsidiary of, of Biffa and a community shop which Remains as a CIC is a, is also a wholly owned subsidiary, so um, two two different businesses, but both under the same banner of Biffa and and the, I suppose the reason strategically why the acquisition was was so important was Biffa's ability to move a lot of the waste that that they collect uh, really is is only in the three streams that they have, which was landfill, animal feed, uh, and, and AD. Yeah, that was the arena that they operated in and, and over the years they've worked very hard like all other waste businesses have to to move as much away from landfill as they possibly can and to bring it further up the waste hierarchy. But clearly outside of those three arenas of, of animal food AD and, and uh, landfill really you, you get into redistribution territory and and as we all know redistribution is, is really quite complicated. Uh, company really shop has got... 50 years' worth of history uh, in doing this, in opening shops, in building infrastructures, in, in putting in intervention capabilities to, to rescue some of that bulk waste that, that Andy was talking about, or some of that work in progress, ingredients, uh, you know, all, all those things that aren't necessarily immediately fit for human consumption. That's, that's sort of where the company shop had, had built its niche. So strategically, the acquisition for Biffa gave them the opportunity to own a little bit more of the waste hierarchy. Uh, and for their own social and environmental benefits, to to find ways to push as much of that waste one level up the waste hierarchy than they've been able to operate in previously into redistribution. So the the, the tie up is certainly starting to give us access to a lot more information. Many of the manufacturers, many of the retailers, you know, they go to tender every year or every three years for their for their waste. So there's a real sense of We get to see everything that's wasted because that's what these businesses go out to tender with. And and while we we can't identify it at that point, we definitely know where the size of the prize is. Uh, And it gives us the opportunity then to to become really a a one-stop shop, I guess, for all elements of waste. So whether that's recovering costs or or value from commodity waste, you know, plastics or cardboard or or all the things that, that is also, you know, a big part of the waste stream. Through redistribution and then and, uh, and animal feed and energy from waste, and, and, and then ultimately landfill if it has to be. But that, that gives us the opportunity to look at that, that waste package holistically for manufacturers and retailers and, and see how we can create value out of those. Um, and then I suppose really, you know, find ways to, to naturally drive waste at the waste hierarchy because it's the right thing to do. Uh, and, and that will ultimately take commitment. Uh, it will probably take some cost investment from the manufacturers and the retailers, because the easy thing to do is just being to have one waste stream, if you like, that just ends up going in a biffa bin. What we ultimately need to do is to put in some some cost and some management that allows us to to separate that, that waste stream so that we can we can capture more of the waste and, and push it further with the waste hierarchy, and, and that's what the infrastructure of biffa allows us to do now, is to help manage jointly projects like that where we can analyze waste, we can analyze all of those streams and see how we can work together to to move as much of the hierarchy as we can. So, yeah, a really important strategic move uh, and a a move that allows, you know, the biggest player in the waste industry in the UK to to play a really active part in, in moving products away from waste and into redistribution.
0: I now have some of the questions coming through from the audience. I'm seeing some questions about reducing food waste and how we balance the need to reduce food waste with the benefits of redistributing surplus food. And then what are retailers and food manufacturers doing to reduce that food waste? We'll start with those. Anyone like to, maybe Andy is a manufacturer. Yeah. Oh, Ian, Ian got there first.
1: You're <laughs>
3: Um, I've been working since uh, September 2018 on the UK food waste reduction roadmap. Um, initially, we had 70 supporters at launch. So all, all the major multiple retailers, some big, big food manufacturers, some branded food manufacturers and private label manufacturers. Um, over the last couple of years, we've increased that number of um, supporters um, to 260 plus large UK food businesses. And um, so the, these are businesses with an annual turnover um, in excess of first six million and or um, employ more than 250 employees, of which um, that 260, um, 190 have provided evidence of implementing a best practice um, target measure act approach in their UK operations. And so they're providing RAP um, annually, with uh, food surplus and waste data. Um, We aggregate and anonymise that data and report. We don't report individual businesses. Having said that, um, we have um, over 50 best practice case studies that are published on our website, which includes individual businesses' efforts to um, reduce um, food surplus and waste. The idea is to feed people. They don't produce food not to feed people. Um, that's its primary purpose. Um, But yeah, UK food businesses are leading the way. I mean, the UK is an exemplar in regards to our approach to um, food waste reduction, and that's been recognised both by the Champions 12.3 group, uh, the WRI, etc. And so um, the data capture sheet we developed, that all food businesses can use, has now been adopted by the um, World Resource Institute was a global resource, um, and so we are leading the way in in the UK. There's no doubt about that.
0: Thank you, Andy. Over to you.
1: Yeah, so I, I guess it's a question I've been asked before, and and I really don't see food waste management or effective food waste management and surplus management as contradictory. They're they're highly complementary. And and it really is about driving that, that kind of laser light focus on on where your challenges or issues are. And, and just to give you an example, we, we started our journey on waste and food waste many years ago. We had a target to achieve zero waste for disposal across our sites in the UK now Ireland by 2020, uh, and actually managed to do that in 2015, so well ahead. And then in combination with that, Again, by taking a more uh, insightful and analytical approach, we we were able to reduce the amount of our waste streams going to energy from waste by 70% in parallel with that. So uh, we felt at the time that we were in pretty good shape. Um, And although we were very focused on food waste and surplus, we we weren't sure how much opportunity there really was within the organisation. However, we we worked with actually everyone on the call with, with RAP company shop and fair share to develop a food waste audit process that we applied across all our sites in the UK and Ireland. And as a result of that, that's driven really real insight in terms of where our key challenges are. So as part of that audit process, it's helped us identify where we can reduce food waste at source, which is critically important not just in terms of the economic benefits of businesses creating that and taking cost out of the food system but in terms of the environmental impact of, of food waste and actually by wasting less it means there is more food available in the system to feed other people but what is also really important is by taking that kind of approach the range of opportunities that I identified where we had products which wasn't redistribution ready that we identified we could make redistribution ready was significant. So it enabled us to start really identifying, okay, these are the opportunities that we can move to redistribution. So identifying a whole range of new options above and beyond just the food waste. So you get a double win. And I think when you look to to Ian's earlier point, when you look at the amount of potential surplus that could be leveraged within the UK food system, it's immense. So, yeah, let's drive both. Let's not try and play one off against the other.
4: Great. Thank you, Joanna. I see you. Yes. Thank you. Yes. So I would just like to make the point because this is often said to us at Fairshare. So surely if you're helping to reduce food waste, you're going to end up that you don't have an organisation or your mission is, is ended. Actually, we would be happy if that was the case. If there was no food waste, there would be other ways of addressing poverty and food deprivation. Um, You know, from a climate point of view, if nothing else, although there are other reasons, as as Andy said, it is the right thing to do to reduce food waste. But we believe, and I think from other comments, the other panellists would agree, that we are a long way away from there being no surplus food available. Um, Long way to go. Um, so, it is absolutely the right. And, you know, if food waste was a country, don't we say it would be the third or fourth biggest emitter of um, CO2? So, of green gases. So, it, yeah, we would always prioritize food waste reduction ahead of surplus redistribution. But, surplus redistribution is one way to deal with that bit of waste that at the moment um, is still occurring because our end to end systems are pretty inefficient at times.
0: Yeah, it does sound like they can be both important aspects to address what is very much an existing issue. To your point, Joe, I think we're not we're not on the knife edge of almost just having it is the last few bits have to go to one or the other. Um, I think it's definitely an an ongoing piece of work um, and something that can be very much done side by side. Um, From my perspective, the mandatory food waste um, reporting, again, might just draw attention to the issue um and draw attention to the you know food that is going to waste that might instead go to surplus so um and that brings me to one um there's a couple of questions in the um chat box asking about how to bring this issue to kind of the public sphere how to engage you know communities how to engage people um kind of reducing food waste in their homes but also you know, addressing the question of food poverty and,
3: you know, what's being done. So just a, a quick, I think important note that um, across 2020, more than 92,000 tons of surplus food was redistributed in the UK. And, and that marked a 45% increase year on year. And partly caused, I think, you can all the group by the response to COVID, but still there's lots more to do. Um, we estimate there's 190,000 tons, Um, more surplus surplus available within retail and food manufacturing, Um, and there exists further potential from other parts of the the food supply chain, including from hospitality food service, and Mm. especially the farming sector. So lots more opportunity there.
0: David, would you like to maybe jump in with your two hats on of company shop and community shop?
2: Uh, sorry, that completely missed the point, over which, which point.
0: <laughs> the question about kind of engaging communities on, um, on these topics.
2: Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah I, I think where, where we have seen success and, and uh, my, my previous life was in Morrisons before I joined the company shop. I think you know, where, where in my experience from Morrisons where we've seen real success in this space is, is at a micro level, at a micro local level. You know, and that and that's where where people really recognise the benefit uh, of community work. Uh, so, you know, I think to that question about how do we how do we draw this to the public's attention, I think uh, through an awful lot of effort and through a, through a very big program uh, that ultimately will end up being very fragmented because of that micro local requirement to to really make it stick. I don't think I don't think people want to see. Uh, necessarily big programs being done nationally they they want to see the impact that it has on their communities in their local demographics in in the people that they recognize that look like themselves and and ultimately that's that's i suppose you know the benefits of of the work that fair share do at that at that local level uh being able to to get really fast food into people's hands as quickly as they can uh at a local level through local food banks and local charities and, and having an impact. Uh, at that micro local level, and, and that's where people recognise ultimately the, the value of of the work that gets done. Not uh, not in my opinion at a macro level, and I suppose that's the role of all of us is to find those stories that we can that we can amplify at a local level that will resonate with people. That's
0: that's a good point, and I think that's part of the challenge for something so on such a large scale. Um, but that does need to be addressed, like you just said, at such a local level. We're talking about people, homes, communities. Um, and you've, you know, like you just said, the answer is going to be a lot of work, (laughs) but what we're talking about here is different ways of doing that work. And one question I want to be sure that we get to is, you know, we've talked about lessons that we've learned. We've talked about, you know, importance of kind of collaborating and really maintaining kind of speed of change. Um, I want to be sure we we talk about how do we maintain the momentum behind this work as we go forward. You know, I know that we're we're not you know post pandemic. It's very much still real. And as the points have been made that businesses are still having to restructure and adapt to different circumstances, how do we maintain both kind of the the urgency of this work and also its kind of um, its kind of presence? of front of mind priority Uh,
1: who would want to jump in on that i'm happy to go i think for me there's there's a few things i think uh, i agree with david you know part of it and a significant part has to be about action on the ground and and that's very much about local action i think there is a role for for context setting and engagement at a national and regional level as well and i think things like the Food Waste Action Week that obviously RAP have been running with uh, all the partners, I think helps to shine a light on it more broadly, and particularly for those people who maybe don't appreciate the scale of both the Food Waste Challenge and, and perhaps some of the issues that, that some of some of our colleagues are facing into. So I think that's really important, but also providing some insight in terms of what can be done, whether it be at an individual level or whether it be at a business level, you know, what can I do? How can I make a difference is, is crucially important. So I think that's a big one. I think the the other core piece for me is, you know, we don't, there's been a lot of discussion about collaboration but we don't need to do this alone you don't need to reinvent the wheel he has loads of expertise out there you know whether it be the, the likes of uh, my colleagues on the call today you know you've got fair share you've got company shop you've got food cloud you've got his church the whole raft of different organizations you've got the excess network now as well that, that can help kind of navigate across redistribution. So for businesses, the opportunity to engage and leverage that existing not only infrastructure, but that existing expertise to take action and take swift and impactful action is is absolutely there. So I think that's the first thing. And and the other key piece is, you know, collaboration within the sector. So as peers, how do we come together and look at how we can leverage our, uh, our scale, and particularly our supply chains to to drive action. So again, you know, not just about Nestle, but about all the people who sit across our, our supply chain, how we can, how can we engage them, leverage them to, to make a difference?
0: Uh, yeah, that's a really good point. I think the numbers are striking when you talk about them at the national level. Um, and that can be really important for galvanizing action. Um, and then translating that action down to a local level. um, It's really important. And uh, to your earlier point, getting that the guy at the back door throughout the supply chain, because yeah, it's it's one guy who passes it on and then there's another guy. Um, And that's, you know, the work that the collaborative work that goes on, including the guidance documents and the networks and the working groups. Those are so important for that kind of peer to peer sharing and really practical best practice, so to speak. Yeah. <laughs> Ian, would
3: you like to come in? RAP have been working in this area um, for many, many years, and we continue on. So we're, we're currently um, working on further implementation resources for re- redistribution organisations, so on um, freezing surplus food and other additional labelling guidance. Um, all RAPs work in this area is aimed at Contributing to an increase in food surplus capture and redistribution, which is obviously um, what we all want to see, and we're all working hard to achieve. You know, our man- mantra is that no good food should go to waste, and, and that's what we're um, trying to support retailers, brand manufacturers, and um, everyone else involved in that redistribution network to achieve. So we continue on with that work. Keep
4: doing the day job. Uh, Joe. So in response to the question about how do we um, raise awareness, I think it's what, you know, Dave is absolutely right. Change happens locally on the ground in local communities, but we do need to support that and facilitate it. And keeping it front of mind and relevant um, in the consumer mind will actually mean that the major brands who listen really, really closely to their customers know we've got the most reactive um food industry in the world i would say and the retailers and brands like nestle and and other companies that they they've got their finger on the pulse of what matters to their customers and if we keep it front of mind of of, and continue to raise awareness of the issue then that will mean that boards will recognize the need to invest and to change and and to put all the infrastructure you know to support the sort of changes we need rippled down to that guy in the back door or the person in the community making the changes so you know we saw that somebody like david attenborough you know with plastic the the change that made you know uh footballers bringing awareness to things it, governments react and consumers react to that so unfortunately you know but rightly or wrongly you may not you might think that's a bit of a shallow society we live in but actually they are drawing attention to really fundamental important issues so um i think that's so that's why i support what um Ian said and the work that RAP have done, but there's probably much more still needs to be done because we're in a competing, a world of competing resources, as we said at the beginning, you know, there's a lot going on. Yeah, no, I think building on everybody's point really, that,
2: you know, I'd, I'd agree with all of that, I'd say uh, in terms of just raising that awareness of, of the need of some of these communities, um, you know, uh, back to that point about it being at a local level, really making the stories real. Uh, making society understand that unfortunately more and more of these communities are being left further and further behind them. And, and we all have a role to play in helping to uh, to support them. I think becomes a, a, a really key continual drumbeat uh, that, that keeps that message drive being driven home. And then ultimately it comes down to behaviors. You know, we can all say those things, but if the industry doesn't behave in the right way and people don't see the industry responding to some of those challenges, then, then the words become very hollow. So, as we said at the beginning of the call, you know, kind of maintaining this momentum is so important because that will be the thing that that communities and uh, consumers ultimately end up end up seeing as behaviour. And then I think you know, the point I build on is is making that narrative really clear. Is it about environmental impact? Is it about social impact? Or is it about both? You know, and and creating that one message and making sure as an industry. We all say the same thing so that mm. that one message you know, doesn't disappear. And you know, back to Joe's point, that's, that's really why David Attenborough did such a good job with, uh, with Blue Planet and Plastics because it was such an environmental message and it was that was a thing that was being driven home. All of the consequences were, were sort of pushed to on one side to drive that environmental message. And I think we need to be clear as an industry, is, is it social or is it environmental or, or is it both? And if it is, then you know, we create a narrative around that and, and make it super local. Uh, and and continue to to make that drum beat um, and make it a rhythm that we all talk about and we all behave in the same way to deliver some lasting change around it.
0: That's a really good point as well about that overarching narrative and the alignment behind it. Oh, thank you. Um, We're now into the last few minutes of our scheduled time. So I will just ask each of our speakers if you have any last comments, any topics you think i should have raised that didn't get to um no pressure but if there was any 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 comments you want to make please go ahead
3: just one comment really about the uk food waste roadmap. if there are any attend- at- attendees on the call today that haven't signed up we'd really like to talk to you so please do get in touch um you can do that via the uh the wrap website so please do get in touch or indeed contact me directly i'd be delighted to have that conversation with
1: you yeah i guess the key one for me is kind of no matter where you are on the journey you can make a real difference so if you've not quite started there's plenty of expertise out there like i mentioned earlier to help you on that journey and get started and if you think you're almost at the end of the journey i'm a great believer in the more you look the more you find so uh start lifting those stones and, and have another
4: look. Yeah, I think that's a good point, Andy. You've reminded us, you know, we've talked a lot about factors outside of of the sphere we're in. And in fact, you know, help begins at home. And um, anybody on this call, you know, if you're not familiar with what your organisation is doing about waste reduction or if they're involved in redistribution, then, as Andy suggests, start, start asking some questions. Um, and whether you get in contact, you know, with company shop, excess, Fair share. There's lots of organisations that can help. What's important is that we work together to to take action in in this space. And I think collaboration, as we learnt through the pandemic, um, is very important because organisations like Company Shop and, and Fair Share and others, we have a responsibility to make ourselves easy to deal with for the industry um, and not create our own barriers. So. Uh, we, we don't necessarily have all the answers. You know, we need to work collaboratively and organisations like that do a great job, actually, through the Food Waste Working Group, you know, bringing us all together and, and just gently working through the various barriers I think is very helpful. So I'm positive. I'm due to retire, actually, very shortly. And uh, I feel I'm leaving at a time where there's lots of challenges. There's there's so much focus and attention on this subject that uh, I'm sure that in a year's time, you know, more progress will have been seen.
2: Building on, on Joe's point, really, I think, uh, you know, our job uh, in, in, the, in the middle of the industry really is to make ourselves easy. The other thing I'd also say is you know, I'd ask the industry to be demanding of us what are the solutions that we need to build uh, to enable real change to happen, you know, and demand that of, of the likes of FairShare and demand that of the likes of Company Shop, uh, because, you know, we are, we are desperate to be solutions to real problems. We don't want to be a solution to a problem that doesn't really exist, and, and therefore, the more proactive feedback we can take from the industry—that said, if we just did this, or if we just had that facility, or this—you know—then we could solve a real problem. And I, and I think we're we're on this side of the fence, desperate for the industry to come and engage and say, uh, you know, we want we want we're going to be demanding of you to do this, this, and this, and, and help us achieve that, and that will make a real difference to to food waste. So, yeah, that's just my request, really, on the back of this for all the attendees is. Is be demanding of us, and let us try and help build the solutions.
0: I think that's a really lovely way to uh, wrap up our session. Real call to action for anyone listening in: that you know, there's a real dynamic, um, you know, setup going on. Dynamic bodies, dynamic people, dynamic groups, and they're asking to be challenged to find more and better solutions. So this is a, a really interesting time for this this kind of topic. And uh, if this panel is anything to go by, they're all lovely people who really want to work together and think everyone is doing a great job. (laughs) (laughs) So thank you very much for joining me uh, this afternoon and all of our panelists. Um, I hope you enjoyed the webinar this afternoon. A recording of it will be circulated after the event. You'll be getting that in your inboxes. Um, And uh, yeah, thank you for joining us. And uh, do see our other events that will be coming up as well. Thank you very much to our panelists. The FDF podcast is sponsored by Clark Energy, sustainably powering the food and drink sector.